1: Wednesday is Bell Let's Talk Day, and uh, tonight, since we have our therapist in studio, I figure we uh, can get the show going early, and we're going to talk about how to cope when you are in a relationship with a mentally ill spouse. That's coming up after ten fifteen with our therapist panel. But first, time to check out our inbox.
0: Your texts are always welcome.
1: Connect with passion at 514-800-514-800. You can always email me your questions to laurie at drlaurie.com. First text of the evening. Hello, Dr. Laurie. It's me, the same penis guy. I'm not sure which penis guy you are, but anyway, how can I make my penis thicker? Well, I get these questions uh, quite often about lengthening or uh, changing the circumference, for example, or the thickness of the penis. So changing length, there's really nothing to be done to increase the length of a penis, except for a surgical procedure where they cut the ligaments at the base of the penis, because you know, there's about maybe half an inch or so that's inside the body that if they cut those Ligaments, they will. It will. Um, that part will come out, but it will make no difference with an erection. So it only appears to be uh, longer. In terms of girth, the only thing that I've heard of is if you go see a, a cosmetic surgeon, for example, cosmetic specialist, um, but. I'm a little weary about these kinds of procedures, but what they do is they can take fat from other parts of your body. They run it through some, something, and then they re-inject your own fat into whatever place you need more fat. Uh, So that you can do that on a penis. I know that there are procedures done like that to increase girth, but it comes with its own risks because your body then creates, like, wherever it's injected, they're like cells that I guess, grow and, and what have you. And the risk is you can have a misshapen um, penis. You can have pockets of fat in some areas, maybe not in others. It may not be completely even. So there are definitely risks. and But that is the only thing that I know of to date that is uh, effective to a- increase the girth. So I would do some research and look at uh, procedures first before jumping on that uh, on that bandwagon how can I convince my wife to use a vibrator? First of all, it's her sexuality. I wanna just put that out there. Trying to convince her is going to be like putting pressure on somebody to do something they don't want to necessarily do, but also to resist you when you pressure someone to do something because you want them to do it, uh, only puts them in a defensive mode. So you want for her to come to it. Uh, on her own in terms of exploration. Uh, so f- having open conversations about sexuality, and I'm not talking about, hey, you should do this and you should do that. No, more about, let's see, what what is it that you love? Do you love clitoral stimulation? Do you like uh, intercourse better? Where are the areas for you that, that work for you? And then possibly start off really small, but with a, a, a small clitoral vibrator. Which isn't so scary because oftentimes women think of vibrators, the thinking of these. Big penises, dildos. That it's not necessarily that. So first, let's dispel and 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 look at what kinds of sex toys are actually out there. So you might just say, uh, "Hey, why don't we why don't we go to the sex shop just to look around? Just you know, hey, let's change things up a little bit. Let's do something fun. Let's do something. We don't have to buy anything. Let's just go look, ask questions if need be, or see what's out there." Uh, so that's a good way to start and open up, uh, the conversation. I don't know if anybody else has any other tips or how did uh, you get your partner to, to try a vibrator, but women will do it on their own time. They, you have to make her the owner of her own, uh, of her sexuality, not you. Uh, and that will be, um, she'll be more likely than to explore it for herself rather than feel like just because you want her to do it. Uh, Hello, doctor. Thanks again for another great show. I have a quick question. Uh, Vasectomy for him or tube tying for me? What do you think is the best and safest course of action? So many, have had many conversations with the gynecologist on this show and uh, on the air and off the air, but uh, I do know a little bit about this, even though I'm not a a medical doctor. So a vasectomy is a procedure done in the doctor's office, takes about 10, 15 minutes or so where they cut the vas deferens. They they just tie up the tube that uh, sends the sperm through to um you know through the urethra it is uh a not, it's not a very invasive procedure nothing like a tubal ligation which is a major surgery by the way so major surgery meaning where you are put under completely carries its own Risks, uh, risks that have to do with the anesthesia. So you have to be, you have to weigh all that up. For sure, it's much, in terms of risk, it's a no brainer. A vasectomy has far, far less risks physically than a tubal ligation. Would So if you're asking me what's the safest uh, and the least risky, it would be on the male side. The recovery for the vasectomy is short, within a week, uh, so your testicles are a little bit sore for a couple of days okay, I don't own a pair, I've never had it done, maybe guys who've had a vasectomy can weigh in here and uh, and maybe reassure guys who are maybe considering getting one. I have a texter who writes in, I read a stat that 80% of women own a toy, likely because they want one, 20% do not, likely because they do not want one. Her decision, leave her Alone. And that's from uh, a guy to you who texted in about the sex toys. At what point, this person wants to know, using today's technology, should a woman uh, first get a mammogram? My wife is 45, has the requisition and has not gone. So I would say, I think, again, I'm not a medical doctor, but I've we certainly have had these conversations on the air, so if my memory serves me right, unless there is an issue in in your family, I think now the government has a program for uh, women as of 50. They actually send you reminders every two years. So uh, you're supposed to get a mammogram every two years as of the age of 50. If your wife was given one at 45, maybe there's a reason for it, but also it might be a good idea just to establish a Baseline for her, and then uh, then she may not need one again until she's fifty, unless there are other risk factors etc. But that would be a discussion to really have with her physician or, or her gynecologist. Coming up, our therapist panel joins me and we're going to talk about how to cope when you are in a relationship with a mentally ill spouse. Uh, Wednesday is Bell Let's Talk Day, so which means we bring mental illness out into the open and we talk about it, which is what we're going to do tonight. A safe place to work out the kinks in any relationship it's passion with CGAD 800's Dr. Lori Batito Do you live with a partner who suffers from a mental illness, depression, bipolar disorder, anxiety? Uh, Bella's talk day is on Wednesday. We thought we'd get an early start at it and bring the conversation out into the open since the last Monday of every month, our therapists are in studio and what better group to get talking about uh, mental illness than this one. Uh, In studio with me is Sandra Rees. She is the clinical director of the Montreal Center for Anxiety and Depression. She's a psychotherapist. Rebecca Putterman is a professional social worker and psychotherapist. Stefan Bensussen is a health psychologist and founder of Sante. In the West Island, welcome, gang. Hi. The gang Hi. is back. Uh, so I know this is a big issue for all of us. I think uh, well, we all treat mental illness, but sometimes we also have to treat couples where this uh, is happening within the couple. And even if the it's the 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 patient is the person with the mental illness, we cannot neglect that this is having an impact on family, relationships, and such. So um, I thought it would be important that we talk about that, what to do, what not to do. Um, Maybe we can offer some tips. I I just think that if we look at the numbers, which I don't even have, maybe some of you have, but the numbers of people who are on antidepressants or anti-anxiety medication, I'm sure is huge. So does anybody have numbers on that? Do we even know what the population is on that?
0: Well, we know that about one in five people suffer from some sort of mental health condition. So that's 20% of our population that's, that's a lot. diagnosed. So, that's
1: diagnosed. So that's imagine right. all the ones non-diagnosed, mm-hmm. right? So we live in that kind of world, I think, that uh, unfortunately is far more prone, especially to anxiety and depression, just in, in terms of the pace of life that, uh, that we are all in. So we're more vulnerable to it, which means that many more people are affected and many more couples are affected. So what what are some of the things that you would want to share or or give as tips? Should we start about what to do or what not to do? What do you think?
2: Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I can start. (laughs) Go ahead, Rebecca. Um, I think it's really important. uh, First of all, the person with the mental health issue. I always talk about not labeling yourself and not defining yourself by your mental health. Right. So, you know, just like someone with cancer won't say, I'm cancer. Someone with depression shouldn't say, I'm depression versus I have symptoms of this. Mm -hmm. And in trying to help a couple when I do work with people, I'm always trying to help the person with the mental health issue uh, describe their symptoms so that their partner better understands them from a symptom point of view, because mm-hmm. we wouldn't expect someone again who broke both arms to make supper. So someone
1: who would be severely depressed can't get up and make the supper that right. we're expecting them to do either. And that's I think that's such a good point because it's a an invisible illness, that's right? right? It's not like a broken arm; it's invisible. Oftentimes, the partners or the people watching this or or involved in this can feel frustrated, that's right. irritated. It's like, why aren't you just getting off your the bed? And why can't you? You know, what do you mean you don't want to go out of the house? And how could you not? And so there's all of these these, these uh, frustrations that build which are up, real like, and yeah, valid yes they're they are valid but we need i think i think the main thing is education
2: it's education and i think the person who does not have mental health issues and does not suffer from any forms of symptoms of, of depression anxiety can't even understand it like right for someone you know i might not have anxiety but when i work with people who have over years of hearing it i can I can feel it, I can understand it. Mm-hmm. So I'm always trying to encourage the person who is not with a symptom, with is not with a uh, diagnosis, to have empathy and understand it and have the dialogue and communicate better so that they can help one another. That compassion
1: is so important. Yes. yes. Yeah. Stefan.
0: Well, we have to understand that you know, mental illness takes a big toll on an individual, first of all, and I think it's important for people to, to get their partners to help. Um, bring him to help, I mean, bring him to whether it's a physician or a psychologist or someone. Sometimes, you know, people live with partners with mental health conditions without seeking the help that mm-hmm. they need. And they go in undiagnosed and untreated sometimes and, and that becomes very toxic for the family. There's kids involved. There's, That's right. It's really important to start with, let's get the proper treatment diagnosed first and then treatment if necessary. Not feeling like we're, we're alone in this, that there's Again, 20% of the population has it. We know that you know 33% of people have anxiety, panic attacks. It's...
1: Absolutely. But what happens if you are the partner and you're seeing this and you know and you can see the symptoms of some kind of mental issue and your partner is ex- very resistant to going to get help? Sandra, what would you su- suggest in uh, that case? So you,
3: you took the words out of my mouth because I think that the emphasis Definitely has to be on compassion, but I'm going to add into the equation compassion with boundaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, strongest emotion of the household runs the household. We, they've seen that in study after study. So if someone's not doing well, suffering from anxiety or depression, there's there's an effect on the entire household. Right. So definitely compassion, caring, but firmly with the suggestion that we need we need mm-hmm. to do something about this, and. Not meaning that the partner becomes the therapist of. Oh yeah, we mm-hmm. need to talk that about that because that's the let's that's the one thing you cannot do. But even if you're not seeing this, because even you know when they diagnose depression, it's sometimes um, your partner. It's a subjective account because sometimes we can't see it in ourselves. Mm-hmm. So if someone's suffering. So I want to be loving and compassionate, but also firm that this is affecting our entire household. So something needs to be done about this. And you got to mean that. Or else. Which is hard to do well, the, when you're feeling bad. When right. you, you feel bad for the person. So it's hard to take that stance. I wouldn't do the or else. Right. But, but, I but would, you're kind I, of saying that. It's well, like would you use, want to set
1: the boundaries. I would say more we have a problem. Right. We have a problem if you're not willing to do something. But if you're not willing to do something, well, we have a problem. We have a problem. (laughs) problem? It's round (laughs) one. We
3: have a problem. Let's talk about what are the options. I don't want it to get to or else, but let's talk about the options. Therapy is one option. Stefan was saying to go see a doctor. There's lots of options, but Mm -hmm. let's make this a family discussion or at least a partnership discussion.
1: Yeah, I think
2: that's necessary. I I think uh, there's an organization, Ami Quebec, because just the same way the person with the mental health issue needs help, so does the other person. The yes. partner needs a lot yes. of support and yes. needs a lot of help. And that's where they learn often boundaries yep. because think, there can be manipulation too with right. mental health issues. Definitely. So, exactly. Yeah. So you definitely want to encourage both people to be able to share what they're thinking, feeling, and protect themselves individually because everyone it is affected by it.
1: Right, I think you said something. so. So poignant, actually, that Sandra about the person with the mental illness takes up, you know, basically controls what goes on in the household, because everybody dances around that, that illness becomes the thing, the other person in that relationship or in the family. And
3: if I could add to that, that's another sort of vicious cycle that can start because unconsciously, we can give attention to something that's negative and what we give attention to grows. So we have to be careful what kind of attention we're giving to it. Compassionate, but moving in a positive
1: direction. Right. So uh, Rebecca, you brought up uh, Amie Quebec, which I think is a a fabulous organization actually that I know a lot of uh, partners and even- Children. Children uh, children and parents of children who have mental illnesses also go to. where they actually, they do feel more empowered and they do feel they have a little bit more control because you can, um, I can imagine that you feel as the partner or the person with not, who doesn't have the mental illness, like there's very little you can do, or it can feel like a hopeless situation, or it can feel like a, a position of powerlessness, Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. which is really hard to handle, right? For, for any of us, I would think. Different. i always
0: said that's the hardest emotion that we have to deal with as humans as, as a concept of powerlessness because we're trained in our society in this world that if we have a problem fix it do something about it and here's one situation where it's not about you it's but something external to you that you may not have any control over and dealing with something that you don't have control over we don't know how to deal with so usually when we feel out of control we feel powerless and when we feel powerless then we get angry and then if the anger stays longer enough, then we get resentment. And that causes a lot of couple issues, mm-hmm. as we may know.
1: Yes. And I've seen couples break up, unfortunately, with some of the more severe. If we look at, um, for example, people who might suffer from bipolar disorder or manic depressive and where they have uh, episodes of mania where they do things like act out sexually. Mm-hmm. act out with or cheating spend money or spend money that gamble that they don't have gamble mm-hmm. their the, the, the family's wealth or whatever they've got um those things have a huge impact it's not just the symptoms but the behaviors that can come with a lot of these illnesses and this is i yeah. think where boundaries are important because you don't have to tolerate bad behavior like I know that sounds like maybe a little callous to say that when it's your partner and the reason why they've done a lot of this acting out is because they were in a phase of their illness but you still have you to protect and that's where self-care comes in so much yeah and I think we need to talk more about that self-care is paramount I agree
3: yeah both in yourself and, More for yourself. And, yeah. yeah,
1: for sure. Put the
3: oxygen mask on yourself first. Mm. And, but also having the expectation that your partner also will participate in self-care. It's a very important concept.
1: Yeah, and it's a, it's a difficult situation to, well, it's a, a difficult topic really to, mm. to discuss because it's touchy and it's, uh, it's deep and it affects people to such a, uh, to such a depth and um, it's a big struggle. It's a really big struggle for a lot of people. If there are people listening who have had a partner who has suffered from uh, mental uh, illness and how you've coped with it, we'd love to hear from you at 514-800. Of course, you can always call us at 514 How did you manage it and... um how did it affect your relationship your family i think it's important that we bring out mental illness issues out into the open talk about it we we need to have this dialogue that's what bell talk day is all bell let's talk day is all about is being able to bring this out and destigmatize what 20% of the population mm. is suffering from like that should not be so stigmatized if 20% of us will suffer at some point with uh, a a mental uh, health problem so let's talk about it and i want you guys to talk about it as well right now let's go check in with our cjd 800 newsroom the following program contains mature subject matter listener discretion is advised from the pleasure and the politics to the hang-ups and the heartbreak you're listening to passion cjd 800 how to cope when you are in a relationship with a mentally ill spouse with my therapist panel, Sandra Reich, who is the, who's a psychotherapist and clinical director of the Montreal Center for Anxiety and Depression, Rebecca Putterman, who is a professional social worker and psychotherapist and Stefan Susan, a health psychologist and founder of Santé in the West Island and I, myself, a clinical psychologist with a specialty in marriage and uh, sexual therapy. So I've, I do have some questions, but first let me uh, read a poem from our passion poet. And uh, as I was t- telling some of these guys off air, uh, I don't know who the passion poet is. He's just a, a listener who sends in a poem. Just about every night, but he puts smiles on everybody's faces. So uh, this is why I like to read his poems. We are not getting any younger. The baby boomers going over the hill, more frequent doctor visits, being prescribed another pill. Some begin to forget, some others' patients disappeared. Some things we must understand and not to be feared. If your partner has, a men- has mental issues, love them that much more. Support and help them, but don't push aside and ignore is that lovely? Yay. <laughs> I know you like him, Stefan, right? That's amazing. That's amazing. I know. Good <laughs> it's for here. you. So he can be... It could he, be a woman. It could be... Uh, yeah, it could be. I think it's a, it's a guy, though. <laughs> uh, all right, a couple of questions here for our panel. And now I, I do want to talk about self-care because that, I think, for the partner is a very important. Of course, it's very important to care for the person with the mental illness, to take steps to care for themselves. But also, um, what it, what it means, but I want to get to some questions first. I don't know what to do. My husband is clearly depressed, but says he is just frustrated with life and not depressed. So what does someone like that do? A partner who recognizes in their partner, whether they, maybe it's depression, maybe, I don't know, they use Dr. Google and found a whole bunch of symptoms and say, I think you're depressed or I think you're suffering from anxiety, but the partner themselves says, no, I'm not. What do you do then? Sandra?
3: Well, uh, listening to that, I think the first thing is there's a lot of research on how depression manifests quite differently between men and women. Okay. And often male depression can often show up as irritation. Anger. Uh, Yes. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Not always the typical sort of, I'm feeling very down and weepy. Yeah. Right. Women tend to talk a lot about their feelings. Men, when they're feeling down, often bottle up and it can come out as irritation. So I think that comes back to uh, having a conversation and learning about the topic because considering the fact that irritation or frustration could be a sign because being constantly frustrated is probably not the best way of being so we have to be curious again what's going on there
1: we also have to look at other other things like uh other symptoms of depression so there's the irritability there can be motivation. sluggishness lack of motivation sexual uh, yeah. desire mm-hmm. is lost so you may have a partner who suffers from erectile dysfunction also because there's a lack of uh, of sexual desire uh so you know dark thoughts or or being in a in a down mood for most of the time of course we're, we're not talking about once in a while I have a down day we're talking about somebody that's there consistently for a few weeks generally speaking so yeah I mean, everybody can have a bad day. And those day.
3: gender differences really to be conservative. Even what you said about sex, often for males, it shows that when they they can be in a depression, they can have an increase in sexual drive because they're trying, again, not to feel. So it can be a That's bit confusing. True.
1: So it, we just want to consider all those aspects. Right. I have another question here. I have a close friend whose husband who has gone from being a calm, relaxed man to someone who gets upset easily and frustrated to the point that he throws small things like magazine or papers, forgets where he puts things, gets mad. He has been diagnosed with and says, I forget the name, but she calls me. I go over for an unannounced visit, have coffee, and then he's okay. He gets mad at her because she's she moved a magazine. Not easy for her. His meds are not working, still trying to find the right one. So I guess this is an example of that irritability that you're talking about in terms Mm -hmm. of the depression. And maybe, uh, Stefan, as a health psychologist, you could talk about, and we will get to the self-care, but I want to talk about the medication because Mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, not every medication, it's not one size fits all when it comes to antidepressants, for example, or anti-anxiety medication. Yeah, there's there's different
0: bit? there's different classes of medication that's used. The, the the main one we we've seen and we we that's rampant in the in the field is the SSRI's, which are you know makes sure that you have enough serotonin in your in your bloodstream and your nervous system. So those are the things that kind of increase our mood and. In- improves the way that we see the world, improves the way that we think, helps us choose more positive thoughts. So those are the serotonin reuptake inhibitors, we call them. And that's what we uh, we diagnose. So usually, you know, they take about three weeks to really kick in to, to get the right dosage, the right one. It's a bit of a, uh, a crapshoot. <laughs> you have to kind of make sure you find yeah. the right one. So, you know, your doctor can, can recommend some, and sometimes you might need a psychiatrist, but most physicians are well-equipped to do that. Mm-hmm. So your general practitioner should be able to do that.
1: Right, and you're usually followed on a monthly basis. So if a medication mm-hmm. isn't working or there's too many side effects, then this is what your doctor checks with you to to then maybe transfer you to another medication if that one doesn't work.
0: Yeah, so that, that's that's one way of increasing serotonin this is the medical route, and it's certainly acceptable and, and proven treatment. You know, we also have to think about there's other ways to improve serotonin as well. Exercise, you know, mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. really, really probably the best antidepressant known.
1: Except around. when you're depressed, you lack all motivation I to get know. up and go to the gym. That's part of the problem. So
0: so one of the things that I recommend for everybody to do every day is to take some dares. Now, dares means kind of taking some little decisions, taking some actions, taking some risks. So dares is an acronym, right? Mm-hmm. Decision, action, risk, expression, expressing yourself and self-love. So every day, do something that takes you out of your comfort zone. It doesn't have to be daring, like, I'm going to jump off the bridge and see if I survive. But daring <laughs> things like, okay, well, today I'm going to get out and just go for a walk and pick up my mail. If that's all I can muster, that's all right. I can do. Or it can be calling a friend, or it could be going out for a movie with, a, you know, anything that takes us out of something that we're new, that's normal for us. So, because depression and sometimes anxiety is kind of where we're stuck in a rut. And we mm-hmm. kind of have to break that rut by doing something a little different.
1: Right. And that's, um, that's part of self-care also. Right. So if we
0: if we talk about
1: self-care, because oftentimes I, I hear people saying, I don't want to be selfish. I feel selfish mm-hmm. if I take two nights out of the week and go do my thing while my partner is at home, um, you know, suffering and stuff. But I think it, we need to clarify this for people that it's okay. You're not being selfish. This is necessary for caregivers, if you will, or, or partners to do stuff for themselves
2: yeah I think it's really important Um, I mean it's a need it's a want but it's important for everyone's survival just to get through their day Mm -hmm. and at some point you know I, I think as everyone's been saying here I think when you're looking at living with someone with mental health issues or you have mental health issues so for the person with severe depression Definitely, or mild, they definitely need to make sure that they challenge themselves to do something that they haven't, that they don't have the motivation to do, or their, you know, their symptoms are stopping them from going out or meeting someone because they would rather isolate themselves. Mm -hmm. But for the partner, exactly. But for the partner, they don't have the depression, so it's really important that they take care of themselves and meet people cuz someone who's depressed might isolate themselves but someone who's not depressed has to make sure they don't become isolated as right. a consequence right so so important for so, that person to go for a walk maybe not far if they're really socialize. scared but socialize but socialize because exactly. their
1: partner the partner who's depressed is not going to feel like socializing and exactly. going out and uh, family party or exactly. going out with a, but you need to
2: exactly it's you so need to important on that level to be with people and to share and not to have, like we talked about stigmas, but shame. Mm-hmm. There is no shame in having someone like we're all saying here, one in five. So we know that someone in, someone knows someone in, an, in your family, in an extended family, with friends who is suffering from mental health issues. So once you start talking about it, people will say, oh yeah, no, I know that person, I know that right. person. So making sure it becomes right something that you begin to share.
1: All right, we'll uh, talk some more about self-care and other tips for you if you are struggling with a parental uh, issue with our therapist panel coming up. Passion with Dr. Lori Batito on CJAD 800. Our therapist panel in studio, we're talking about how to cope when you are in a relationship with a mentally ill uh, spouse. I want to give out the number for Ami Quebec, by the way, and that is an amazing organization that supports uh, family members, uh, children, parents, uh, parents spouses. yeah, spouses of anyone suffering from uh, mental illness. Um, Ami Quebec is 514-486-1448. Five one four four eight six fourteen forty eight. So we have another text here. How about discussing those people that had a sex change and now want to change back because they didn't what they were looking for? There's a big group of them in the UK. Maybe listeners will think twice. That's a whole other issue that we can discuss at another uh, on another show. But actually, the the number that there's they're not that many. It's not a huge number that uh, have regret, actually. So I just want to say that, I don't, although I don't have the exact, uh, the exact numbers. Uh, question here, how do we know if anxiety is a problem in our house or is it just stress? So how do you, would you determine when something is actually a mental illness versus just a bad day or a super stressed time or what have you? Sandra?
3: Well, for me, it's uh, how much is it interfering in your life? That's okay. the question. So, we all have stress. There's even good stress. You stress. We need a certain amount of stress. It's not all bad. But if it's starting to interfere with the quality of your life, that's very important. So, that's the question you have to ask How much is it interfering?
2: Okay. I think that uh, level of distress that you have.
1: The level of distress you have, but also the impact it's having on the others. others. Mm -hmm. Because as we were saying earlier, sometimes the person with the mental illness doesn't recognize it as a mental illness.
3: And That's where sometimes the person doesn't want to recognize it. And there is such thing, uh, especially with anxiety, where the other person who can be very empathetic Mm -hmm. will catch the anxiety. Right. So they look like they have anxiety but they're actually catching the anxiety of someone who doesn't want to feel it. That happens a lot. It's contagious. We talk about
1: anxiety being contagious, right? Because the other person, the anxious person lets it all out. You absorb it. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> now we have a whole system—a household. Uh, a household. Well, this brings me to the idea of enabling, mm. um, because one thing you don't want to do when you have a, a partner who's mentally ill is you don't want to become that person's therapist or that person's enabler. I think we have to remember that the person with the mental illness is still responsible for taking the steps to manage their illness. It is still their illness, even though it affects us. All uh, And so trying to be the one or the only one that is there to help them or you can't do it even. And I have to tell you, and all of us here, we're all professionals in this field. Would we even dare be our partner's therapist? (laughs) no, nope. nope. <laughs> <laughs> You cannot do that. <laughs> Can't do it.
2: I say when you enable, you disable. That's, that's good. When you line. enable, you disable. Yeah, that's good. I say good. it often because I think it's true for parents,
1: for spouses, you know, to, so we go, have to be careful. Go into detail a little bit about that.
2: Well, essentially, if you're doing too much, if you're taking over for the person who's unable to do things, you're almost disabling them at the same time. Mm-hmm. So that's where we put the responsibility on the person with the issue, with the problem, with the symptoms, with the diagnosis, to really manage themselves. So they might need a hand to go with them to the appointments uh, to start with. Sometimes Mm -hmm. they're too vulnerable Or too scared And even at times I tell people Maybe you need to accompany them Because what they're presenting to their doctor Isn't exactly what you might be seeing Right. So you're getting a different story A different
1: narrative too And the person with the mental illness Should also take the responsibility Like I don't know if it's ever happened to you But a spouse will call me My husband Mm -hmm. has uh, anxiety And I'm Mm -hmm. looking for a therapist for him I said well have your husband call me Right. Right right. It's part of the beginning of the process of saying, okay, you're admitting to the problem, you're saying you have it, you want the help, so you make the phone call. Otherwise, right. if the spouse takes over all of those tasks. tasks, that's what enabling looks like. And then you disable them, essentially, like we talked exactly, about. Exactly, exactly. So I also recommend um, couple counseling in situations like this. Not Even though individual therapy is really, really important, uh, for the the person with mental illness, I think that would you know we know that the success rate is really good for people in therapy, and sometimes uh, medication plus therapy is uh, very effective, and other other uh, treatment modalities. But you need to do that. But also, you might need the couple uh, therapy to help you both understand what's happening and help you communicate and set the boundaries when you have a third person saying, hey, wait a second, maybe you should set a boundary here, and maybe you should set a boundary there.
3: I think that's well said. I think that couples uh, bounce off of each other. I think uh, we were talking about self-care. I think we're all only as good as our strategies. So having that conversation in couple therapy, I think, is fantastic, because sometimes in a system, like in a couple, you're both playing a part, like enabling disabling is playing a part if Mm -hmm. it's feeding the depression or feeding the anxiety you might be part of the problem right if the person's getting off the hook for example from day-to-day responsibilities because they're depressed or anxious you could unconsciously be feeding a problem Mm -hmm. so that's a conversation that often shows up when
1: couples show up at my office no doubt about that right so it's not Like we were talking before about, okay, the person is depressed, poor me, and then the other person also says, you're right, poor you, uh, let me do everything.
3: Right. Right. Which is the tendency to Mm want to do that. Uh, But as we've stated, I think all of us, that often can backfire. We w- always want people to take responsibility.
1: Right. Last words, uh, Stefan. Any last words for? Well, just to, to
0: piggyback words? on what we were just talking about, I think it's important to consider our partners and our family members because if if we keep doing things for them, we actually encourage them to continue being depressed. So, the person who is depressed or who has a mental illness, they actually develop secondary gains from remaining in that condition, mm, and that could be really dangerous. Word. And that can cause long-term mental illness as opposed to just going through Mm -hmm. an episode of depression or anxiety. So we need to keep the communication lines open. We need to keep the boundaries clear. We need to seek self-love and keep communicating with people and make sure that we're well-surrounded and supported.
2: Right. Rebecca, anything else to add? I would say that my colleagues here have said it all. <laughs> uh, it's, it's true. Let me end it on,
1: on this texter's note. What a fantastic, helpful show this person That's writes great. in. It's true. Uh, hey. Obviously, from response yeah. from listeners, big issue in Montreal. <laughs> we need more Dr. Laurie's or more or more Dr. Laurie. Well, you've got a few more right here. Right here. And speaking of which, where can people find this wonderful therapist panel? Sandra rich where can people find you? Um
3: www.helpforanxietydepression.com or 514-777-4530. Wonderful. Well, Rebecca put her 514-402-5526.
1: And Stefan Ben Susan.
0: or 514-542-6888. And you can find
1: me at 514-984-5910. I have an office in the West Island and one in uh, in Montreal. By the way, all this whole show is will be up on podcast on uh, my website, DrLaurie.com. So if you want to re-listen to it or you want to get the numbers again, the number for me Quebec, one more time, 514-486-1448. Uh, so all that information, you can share it with people, listen to it again, whatever whatever you need to do with that. I want to thank you guys all so much. And thank you for talking about mental health and mental illness in an open way and in a helpful way I think we all need to do that that's what Bell Let's Talk is all about and I'm very proud to be part of this company that actually takes that uh, wonderful initiative so thank you all and thank you for making me a part of it as well thanks to our technical uh, producer Dave Simon and uh, again you can connect with me on my website drlaurie.com or on social media at drlauriebetito b-e-t-i-t-o is how you spelled my last name coming up next here on cjd we bring you the ctv national news have a great rest of the evening and remember to live your life with passion